Good morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. Lord, we're thankful, God. We're grateful. We never want to take this for granted, what we get to do, Lord. We get to worship you in spirit and in truth, God, in song. We get to worship you by opening your word, God, and our desire is that you would speak to us, Lord. Give us an ear to hear, hearts to obey, uh, uh, an understanding of your word, an understanding that your word is a lamp and a light, a lamp unto our path, uh, a light unto our path. You know what I mean. Uh, it, it helps us, Lord. It guides our steps, and, and we need you, Lord. Uh, so I pray you do that today, Lord. Uh, we got questions. We're going through things in our life, and You've got the answers, Lord, and we just are so thankful for your word has the answers, God. So we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 7, uh, last week we looked at Jesus was teaching his disciples. He went on and, and kind of not just warned them, but, but you know, uh, told them, listen, it, life is not going to be easy, and being a Christian may not be the easiest, but, and then we finally looked at the very end is how to build that foundation in your life. What is the foundation? It's somebody who hears the word of God and does it. God, I know this is your word, and I want to implement it in my life. I want to do your word, not just hear it, not just have information. And Jesus goes on from there, and in chapter 7, it says this, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he had heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him that he would to, to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loved our nation and has built us a synagogue. And when Jesus went with them, and when then Jesus went with them, and when they had already then he was already not far from the house. The centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I'm not worthy that you should enter into my roof, under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant shall be here healed. I have a trouble speaking for this morning. For I'm a man placed under authority and I have soldiers under me and I say to one, go and he goes and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and he turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, no, not in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well, who had been sick. So Jesus, uh, rejected in Nazareth, his hometown, sets up his home base in Capernaum, that's northern Galilee, in the Sea of Galilee, right on the, right on the water, that city. Um, so he goes there, and uh, it's where Peter lived, and these people come to him. Elders of the Jews. These are older people. They come, and, and they say, listen, there's a guy, a centurion, whose servant is sick, and he's ready to die. He's wondering if you would heal him. Can you come and heal him? And he's worthy the guy is worthy, uh, the, the one who's asking is worthy, why he loves our people, and he built us a synagogue. And, and Jesus is going to respond to that. You see that Jesus responds and heals him, but not based on what this guy has done, but based on this guy's faith. The guy doesn't think he's worthy. 
And for this centurion, Rome was in power. You guys know that. Rome was in power, and Rome was the global power. And what made them so amazing, part of what they did was their army and these centurions, these guys that were over 100 men. And they, they were strategic in battle. So this guy, his region, when he was placed, he was in uh, Capernaum. Uh, but, but what he did to earn his wage, not only did they pay him a little bit, but what he would do is when he went into battle, he would get to keep some of the spoil, some of the money from the battles that he had won. So that's how he got most of his money. They didn't pay a Roman soldier a lot. That's why some of the soldiers, not just the centurions, but the soldiers, they were kind of muscling people and threatening people and, and taking money from people. Uh, but this guy is a little, it's a, a little unusual because he loved the people of Israel. And that wasn't common. There was strife between Rome and Israel. They didn't like each other. Israel hated Rome because they were subservient to Rome. This guy was different. This guy actually used his own money to build a synagogue. I don't, I mean that, I don't know what that would cost to build a synagogue. I'm, to build someone a house, imagine building a house of worship, building a church for someone. But that's what this guy did. He loved those people. And his servant is sick. And in Rome in those days, there was between seven and eight million slaves. And, and you know, a servant, that's the King James is, is being gracious there. This guy was a slave. He was just property. He was like owning a car or a tractor or a piece of equipment. And when, when a, a slave, something happened to him, they would discard a slave. Just like, a, you know, if your car, you know, you're weighing out, you're holding on to a car. I've got a few of them. You hold on to a car and you're, all right, it's just a starter. It's just a, and then it's like, is it worth keeping this darn thing? Or, you know, what do I do? So, and that's for uh, Rome and people who owned servants. They, they were property. They were literally slaves in those days. And they would weigh out, you know what? This guy is costing me more than it's worth keeping him. And they would discard a slave, but this guy cared. Who knows? It might have been an older gentleman, just someone in his house who couldn't fend for himself, uh, whatever. This guy loved Israel, loved the God of Israel. He built a synagogue. He's different. So he sends people, representatives, and says, hey, can you heal this guy? And they, they make the claim that he's worthy. This guy's worthy. He, he loves us. He's built us a synagogue. But, but, you know, as you read, Jesus responds to that. And the, and the guy sends out messengers and says, listen, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And Jesus doesn't heal this guy based on his worthiness. That, that's, you're never worthy. You're not worthy. You cannot earn God's love. That's the basis, what Jesus is trying to explain here. You can't earn God's love. You can't earn his favor. He's already loved you enough. When he went to the cross, he displayed that love. He already displayed that love, right? So if you're trying to earn God's love or favor or a blessing, you can't. He already loves you. You just enter into that by being a child, a son or a daughter, receiving. It's always by grace through faith. And Jesus responds to this man's faith. 
In fact, he's going to say that this man has more faith than he's seen anybody have in Israel. That includes the very disciples and apostles that were following him that, that left their family businesses, that walked away from maybe an inheritance. Say, you know what, God, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus says, I haven't found that kind of faith in all of Israel, right? So we're breaking up this chapter into, we're going to cut it in half, but this, this very first part it's really, this guy has very little hope. But the hope he does have, he puts in Jesus. The next person we're going to see, this widow who has her son raised, this, this widow of Nain, she has no hope. Her son is dead. And then we're going to look at John the Baptist, a guy who's lost hope, right? And, and right here, this guy's got a little bit of hope. And all the hope he has, he puts in Jesus and says, you can heal my servant. I know you can. You just have to say the word. And so that's what he's doing. And he's approaching Jesus that way. And, and, and uh, it says this. He tells Jesus, I'm a man placed under authority in verse 8. I have soldiers under, under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So I know authority, he's saying. I know I'm under authority. When, when, when my superiors tell me to do something, I do it. But also those under me, I've got 100 men under me, and I tell them to do something, I expect them to do it. And Jesus, I know you have that authority. I know you can do whatever you say. And, and what Jesus has given us as his children is his word. That's authority, right? You need to know who you are in Christ. And so we have the authority of God's word and what he tells us. And Jesus said, I haven't found that kind of faith, not even in Israel, nowhere, everywhere I've been. Even the men that were following him, he's like, this is the greatest faith I've seen. And that was kind of a shock. It would be a shock to people following him. It would be probably a shock to the apostles who were following him. And then we move on. Obviously, this guy gets saved, healed. And then we move on to this woman. They move from Capernaum 20 miles, 25 miles to the south, I think southwest. And it says in verse 11, it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of the disciples went with him and a large crowd. So now he's got the disciples, the apostles, and, and he, he's got this large crowd of people following him. And it says, When he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. So Jesus is traveling with this massive crowd. This is, these are the days of his popularity, and he has a huge crowd following him. And a city was, was walled in those days, but there were gates that you, would, you could come in and go out, and there were usually guards at the city. If the walls were big enough, there would even be guards on the walls. But Jesus is heading in this gate with this massive crowd. And as he's heading in, this narrow gate where this huge crowd has to follow him, there's a huge crowd coming out, this funeral. 
and they brush shoulders, right? This woman, these people are celebrating. Look what Jesus just did. He healed this, this uh, centurion servant. Look at what the miracles he's done. These guys are, that's why they're following him. The amazing things that he's done. But then there's this woman coming out. Her husband's dead. Her son's dead now. And there's, they're crying. And this crowd brushes shoulders going in and out of this gate. And isn't that the way it is? in your life, in my life, and you're rejoicing, you're a Christian, you're a child of God, you go through hard things, then, and, and you brush shoulders with people around you, people in the world that are going through hard things. And you're there in their life, and you have hope. They're weeping, and you're celebrating, and, and why? Because you have hope, even in hard things. And God allows that to happen. You're in the world, and I'm in the world, to be salt and light. We have hope in a hopeless world. And Jesus, and he knows this woman. We're going to see him single her out. Of all the people, this huge, massive crowd, he singles this woman out as the one who's grieving the most. Why? Because Jesus sees and he's looking for the hurting people. He's looking for people that are hurting to touch them. And, and it's terrible for this woman because she's lost her husband. And in those days, there's no social programs, right? If, if you lose your husband, you're, you're, the people in your house, they provide for you. She's lost her husband. How grieving that is, but she has her son. She's looking at her son. She probably sees her husband in her son. She, you know, if you, you, if you have a son, you probably see, man... Look, he's, he's you know, chopping wood like your dad or all the diff- different things his dad probably taught him. Now he's got to do. He's got to be a provider, a help, a protector. All the things in the home that dad used to do, that dad used to be. And how sad that was to lose your husband and now lose your son. Terrible. She's grieving. She's weeping. And in those days, they would bury uh, someone the same day, the very same day. If he died, it, everyone would get together and they put him in, in, you know, they call it a coffin here, but he's in some sort of a basket and they're taking him outside of the gate to bury him. That same day, she, it's hard for her to process everything that's going on. What am I going to do? I'm, to grieve over your son, but then, you know, probably even feeling bad. All right, my son's dead. My husband's dead. I feel bad thinking about myself, but what am I going to do? What's my future look like? How am I going to provide? How am I going to make it? Who's going to help me? All these questions, hard for her to process. She can't, you know, you go through something hard, uh, ladies, or, you know, you have a spouse maybe, and you go to them, and you, you throw more on them. I do that all the time as a, as a husband. Hon, listen to me. And she's always like, well, I'm going through stuff too, right? Because we all are going through things. But mine's worse than Leah's, so I usually lean on her shoulder, right? This lady, she doesn't have anyone to lean on. She does have people who care, but people that have to provide for their own families and their own things. So it's very hard. They're caring. Everybody's weeping, but they brush shoulders with this crowd that Jesus is, is, is in the middle of. And when the Lord saw her, it says he has compassion on her. 
That's, that's the strongest word for sympathy, empathy that the Greek uh, language has. He has compassion. That's your pain in his heart. As he's walking in, he literally experiences her pain. He has compassion and it moves him, right? Jesus sees things in your life and my life. He sees something in this woman, lost her husband and lost her son. And it says he has compassion on her. And then he tell, and typical guy, right? He says, don't weep, right? Typical guy, don't cry, honey. <laughs> You're making me feel uncomfortable. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do, right? Gee, isn't there someone you can call right now? That's not what this means here. When Jesus tells her not to weep, he's not being, a t- he's not being unsympathetic or not uncaring. When Jesus says don't weep, there's a reason. He can say, don't weep. When Jesus talks about things like not fearing, addictions, sin, pain, when he tells you and I something, he's right there to give the power, comfort, the encouragement. When he tells her not to weep, he's going to be right there to console her, to help her, to work on her behalf. And that's what he's going to do. Right? He's just not a typical guy. He loves this woman. He has compassion, and he's about to move. In a situation where there's no hope, at least the last situation, the centurion servant, the guy's still alive, right? He's got, it's low, his, but his heart's beating, right? This guy is dead. Jesus comes through. We're going to see. seems simplistic what he's saying, but it's not. And it says he came and touched the open coffin so you could see this guy. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. There's a lot of helpers carrying, you know, uh, we call them pallbearers, maybe that carry a casket. People would carry the body out. People helping the greatest help you can be to people that are hurting is to take care of that person to Jesus, right? They were taking him to a grave, to a burial site, to a sarcophagus, which means flesh eater, right? They would lay him on this limestone table, and, and it would literally uh, eat the flesh. That's what it means. And they were ha- taking him out. But Jesus meets him right there. And he, and he talks to this guy. He says, young man, I say to you, arise. At the moment, this is the greatest thing Jesus can do. In this pain, what she's going through, Jesus raises this young man from the dead. It's the greatest thing he can do in the moment. It's not the greatest thing that Jesus can do. The greatest thing Jesus can do is give eternal life because this guy right here is going to have to die again someday. This guy is going to have to go through this whole experience again. Right? And, and giving life to someone, that's huge. We want, you know, death is always too soon and sudden and unexpected a lot of times. Not every time. My grandmother made it to 100 
I was not expecting that, right? She lived through 17 of 45 presidents. She saw a lot in, in her life. But death is un, can be unexpected. But that's not the greatest. In the moment, this was the greatest thing Jesus could have done. He had compassion. He loved her. He loved this young man. And he says, arise. And it says, he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented, Jesus presented him to his mother. He responds to Jesus' call and he starts talking. What does he say? I'm hungry. Typical guy, right? If, you, if there's a young man in your house, they're eating a lot, right? I'm hungry. What happened? I don't know. Maybe he relived what happened. Maybe he said, I'm sorry, Mom. Maybe he was a prodigal. Maybe he was living a life of sin and rebellion. And Jesus goes and gets this guy this young man, and rescues him and brings him back. You're probably thinking, and that's appreciation. When you live a life in rebellion to God, and you're heading, I lived it, and you're heading in the other direction, and then God meets you there and reminds you how much he loves you. What appreciation you have when you come back, when you turn around. What you want to tell people that are walking down that same road. You don't look down on him anymore like, you fool. But no, you have compassion like Jesus had on people. And he starts talking. You know, what is he, what is he telling people? What is he saying? I remember when Jesus saved me, I could not stop telling people what he did. How he gave me life, how he breathed life in me, how he gave me another chance. I'm sure that this guy is telling everybody this story. I was dead, and now I'm alive. That's your testimony if you're a Christian. I was dead, totally dead, and now I'm alive. Really? Let me tell you what happened. I was heading to the grave, and Jesus met me. My life was heading to the grave. The things I was doing were taking me to death, and Jesus met me there. He gave this guy another chance. Isaiah 61, is, you know, Jesus opened the scroll. We read that a few weeks ago. It says that he brings beauty from ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, right? Something that's dead, burned up, not alive. It looks terrible. Like this is, you know, I was, Lord, I was hoping you would do something, but now it's too late. Well, it wasn't too late. He brings beauty from ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. Right? And, and this woman is probably freaking out. And it says, fear came upon all. And they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and the surrounding region. So, you know, 70 miles quickly. News travels fast. Little hope, no hope, and now we're going to talk about a guy who's lost hope. 
lost hope, a, 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 a believer, John the Baptist, who experienced so much, continued to say, behold the Lamb of God, pointing people to Jesus, baptizing Jesus, sees a dove descending on him, the Holy Spirit. And now he's in prison. If you read Matthew's account, the disciples come to him, verse 18, disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And where do they, they go on a prison visit? They have, have a prison ministry because John the Baptist is in prison now. And they report to him concerning all these things. Man, you should see what Jesus is doing now. You were right. You were pointing to him, telling us to follow him. He must increase. I must decrease. You were right. You got to see this guy. Look what he's doing. And they're excited. Maybe this young man is with him, with these guys. But John, he's in jail. That kind of stinks, right? John is an outdoorsman, right? He's eating locusts and wild honey, and he's got a, you know, a leather belt, and he's wearing camel's hair. This guy lives in the wilderness. This guy's an outdoorsman. He doesn't, you know, I, wanna, I don't want to live in town. I want to live in the country. Give me a four-wheeler. Give me a, you know, whatever. That's John. He doesn't want to live in town. But now he's in prison. Like, he definitely doesn't want to live there. And these guys come, they're so excited. And John is, you know, bummer. That's good for you, but it kind of stinks for me. So John, it says in verse 19, John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, are you coming one, or do we look for another? Man, talk about your faith being shaken. He says, he tells Jesus, are you, who, was I right? Are you the one that's coming? Are we looking for, because what I was expecting to happen in my life, and what I'm seeing in my life and feeling, is two totally different things. And so he sends them. Sends his two, two, he calls two of them aside, who knows? Like, who, how many people went and visited John, and then he's going, hey, oh, see, look, it was great to see you guys. Hey, you two, come here. Don't tell everyone else, but could you do me a favor? I'm a little discouraged here. I'm in prison. This is hard. This is a deep trial. You know, I'm hoping to get out. This is tough. Can you go ask Jesus a question? I'm glad he's doing everything he's doing. So the men came, verse 20, to him, <clears throat> and they said, hey, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus doesn't answer him right away. Jesus keeps working. It says, that very hour, he cured many infirmities and afflictions and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And then it says, Jesus answered and said to them, Go tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And Jesus doesn't rebuke John for feeling like that. That's normal. You know what Jesus does? Jesus is just reminding him. Go, just go tell John, hey, nothing's changed. 
go remind them what I'm doing. My mission is still the same. Things are going to get hard. In fact, John's not going to make it out of prison. John's going to be beheaded. Things are going to get, in our eyes, it looks harder for John. He gets an upgrade, right? He dies, and he's there before the Lord. That's a major upgrade. Sometimes we need to be reminded, don't we? Things get hard. Things unexpected happen. Things are like, seems like death. It seems very difficult. And then we got to be reminded of what Jesus is doing, that he's working. And some people, you know, you, you, you brush shoulders with some people. You're going through hard things, but then you're talking to other people who are just got this fresh faith. Like the centurion, right? This, that guy had faith. That guy had, he wasn't coming to church. He wasn't coming to Jesus with this weak, like, oh, what's the Bible say? Oh, I've read that before. This guy was excited about what Je- He believed that Jesus could heal his servant, and he was just th- so thankful for what God was doing. And some people are there in their walk. Man, what's the Bible say? Oh, my gosh, it says that? That's amazing. Some people's faith, as you walk with the Lord, you get a little desensitized. And the Bible can become a little white noise to you. Oh, I read that last week. Oh, he referenced that last week. Oh, I heard that study before. I've heard that. Or there's fresh faith. Like, oh, the Bible says that? Oh, my gosh, I want that. And, and you might be at a point where, It's not very fresh, the Word of God. And John was at this down, low, depressed place where his faith wasn't very fresh, where things were getting harder, and he had questions. And all Jesus does is, hey, go remind him. Go back and tell him what I'm doing. Nothing's changed, right? And then Jesus will go on and commend John. This guy, the centurion, Jesus says he's, he's got the greatest faith in Israel. And John, Jesus will say he's the greatest prophet Israel's ever seen, ever. That means if John's a great prophet, hard things happen to him. Guess what? Hard things can happen to you and I. You might doubt and get confused, get discouraged. Like, Lord, you're healing that guy. You've touched them. You've blessed them. Did you forget about me? I'm in prison here. Herod's wife wants to cut my head off. I hear that all the time. She's waiting for the opportunity. And it happens. But Jesus reminds this guy. And sometimes that's what we come to church to get reminded. We have fellowship with each other to get reminded. You have devotions to be reminded. We need fresh faith. You need to take the word of God at face value and say, Lord, what do you want to do in my life? What can you do through my life? That's a promise I want to hold on to. Or else it's everything we're saying and talking about is just white noise. It's religion. That's what the the religious people in Jesus' day, just they knew the Bible, but there there was no life. It wasn't active at all. Because you can know the Bible from very well, and it's not active in your life. 
Jesus goes from chapter 6, teaching his disciples, and then classes in session. Chapter 7, he's, he's showing them what he's doing. They're walking with him. That's God's design for your life. We just get to walk with him. We read the Bible, talk to the Lord, and he's walking you through situations, things that seem hopeless, past hope, discouragements, because there's help in him. His word is truth. So, Lord, we're so thankful for your love. We're so thankful to have your word, that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that it directs our steps, it touches our heart, Lord. We need to be reminded like John. Sometimes people, we run into people that are so excited about what God's doing in their life and so excited about maybe their new fresh faith. And for us, who've been walking with the Lord, maybe things are getting a little dry. We start questioning. And trials have been discouraging. Lord, I pray you'd refresh our faith. Pray you breathe fresh life into us and fresh truth. That you'd be our comfort and our help, Lord. I thank you for the story of the woman who had her son raised. God, the hopeless situations in our life that seem like, how could this ever get fixed? How could this ever work out? And you come through. We thank you for that, Lord. We all have those situations that we're walking through, that we're trying to navigate. Pray we could navigate those things, Lord, by your word and your Holy Spirit. We love you. Give you our lives, Jesus, in your name. Amen. If you're discouraged today, listen, Jesus wants to comfort you, remind you. If you need prayer, come on up. We'll pray. We can remind you too. The Lord loves you. He's still working. He's on the throne. Uh, This world can be discouraging.